Hi everybody, Pete Sardis for The Lore. You know, we are back talking about the Elizabeth Holmes Theranos trial. This is the week seven update. I'll tell you what happened this week. And at the end, if you stick around, I'm gonna drop a bomb on you and I'm gonna tell you how this is going to absolutely affect the way the defense is gonna put on their case in chief. So if you liked the video, hit like. If you enjoy this series, hit subscribe. And as always, give me some comments down below and some questions so I know what you're interested in. With that, let's do a recap. Last time we left on our live, we were talking about the former CEO of Safeway, which is a big grocery store change. His name is Steve Bird. He was testifying. Uh, he finished his testimony. The general gist is this. Safeway spent hundreds of hours and about $350 million trying to incorporate the Theranos Edison machine into a thousand of their stores. They went as far as to actually create a uh, a construction model, how they were going to change out their store layout in order to be able to accommodate a number of Edison machines in about a thousand stores. Over the course of about four or five years, they poured a bunch of research time and energy into this. Obviously, as you know, they wound up walking away from it. They couldn't confirm that the Theranos results were any good. On cross-examination, again, if you remember, that is when Elizabeth Holmes' lawyers get to ask questions of the government's witness. I think the defense lawyers got some good points across. Their points being this. So you guys spent hundreds of hours thinking about what's going on. You got experts, you got scientists, you got all the, you know, all the brain trust together to figure out how you were gonna put the Edison machines into your stores. You knew exactly what you were getting into because you had all the right people. If you thought this was a scam or if you thought there was something that this Edison machine wasn't doing what you thought it was going to do, you would have known about it after doing all this research. So the CEO of Safeway is off the stand. The next person that took the stand is the lab technician that took over after Adam Rosendorf left the company. If you remember, we talked about it a couple episodes back. This poor guy was on the stand for six days. He was questioned by the, the government for one day and he spent the next five days on the stand being cross-examined by Elizabeth Holmes' lawyers. The guy that took the stand this week was his replacement, and it's an interesting story. The gentleman's name was Sunil Dalwan. He is a dermatologist by training. He got the job because one of his patients uh, called him up and said he'd be a perfect fit. That patient, Sonny Balwani himself. So he brings, Sonny Balwani brings this guy in to take over for Dr. Rosendorf. Uh, his basic testimony is he probably spent five to 10 hours total in the six months he was the director of the laboratory for Theranos. His testimony was that he was told that it was really more of an of administrative position. He was more of a consultant than an actual in-house lab director. So what wound up happening is he gets the job from Sonny Balwani. He comes in, he doesn't interact with any of the team um, in the labs, he doesn't know how the lab procedures work, he doesn't have any clue about how to run the lab, because remember, he's a dermatologist, and but for the fact that he has a medical degree, he has no background to actually substantiate that he is able to fill the role of a lab director for Theranos or frankly any other company. One of the other big things that he talked about is that he has no experience either directing labs or in pathology. So even 
If he was there, he doesn't really have the specialties and the knowledge necessary to be able to determine whether or not results are coming down correct or if the processes are being done. So that was, I think, a kind of a blow to the defense last week. In addition, I think that they're starting to prepare for, I call it like little test runs on how the evidence against Sonny Balwani is going to look in his case. And they're doing that here in Elizabeth Holmes' case. All right, next topic. This is something that didn't happen in uh, in front of the jury. I think there's been some noise that we're seeing between the defense lawyers and the judge about the fairness, the fundamental fairness of the jury process. And I'll tell you what I'm talking about. A number of media outlets filed information requests with the court last week after the whole thing we talked about regarding the one juror who was a Buddhist and she said she couldn't stand in judgment of somebody else. The other person who took that juror's spot had indicated she didn't have a very good command of the English language, so she wasn't sure if this was the right case for her. After all of that happened, all the media outlets like, wait a minute, we want to see the jury questionnaires. What are those? In a federal case, when a jury pool is selected, all the people within that jury pool fill out a questionnaire. And it can be something as basic as name, address, phone number, uh, how long you've lived in the district. Uh, or And the courts also have the ability to add questions that are normally submitted by the lawyers just to kind of uh, hone in on the issues that may become at issue in a specific trial. Normally, and I think this is the way it happened in this particular trial, in federal court, the lawyers don't actually do the voir dire process, meaning the lawyers don't ask the questions to the jury pool, but they submit the questions to the judge and the judge does the inquiry on behalf of the lawyers. So with that, the media outlets did a series of requests to get the jury questionnaires from the court so they could see who uh, or what the makeup of the entire jury pool was. The defense lawyers have kind of hopped on the bandwagon based on these requests and saying, Judge, there's an issue here about the fundamental fairness of this trial because we have one juror who sat on this jury for how many weeks and then determined she can't sit in judgment because of her religion, so she goes away. And then we bring the replacement on from one of the alternates. She now says she can't command the English language. How is Elizabeth Holmes going to get a fair trial if, number one, we can't get a jury that actually understands the information and is willing to render a verdict? And question number two is, now that the jury is asked for all of these records, if the court were to give the media all of the jury questionnaires, would that then affect the juror's ability to be impartial? Because now they know their names, their addresses, their phone numbers. Are there going to be uh, you know, cameras and reporters sitting outside of all their doors waiting for them to come in and out of their homes, ask them questions about the case, which you're not allowed to answer? Or is it going to be a situation where they're going to force that jury to be sequestered, meaning that they take the actual members of the jury and stick them in a hotel room so they can't uh, have contact with anybody? All of these are major issues. We will see how the court rules. But at this point, what I'm going to tell you is, as a trial lawyer, uh, the defense lawyers are setting this up to be able to ask for a mistrial at some point in this case. And what that means is that they're going to uh, set this up so if at some point in the future there's an issue with a juror, they can ask the court to issue something called a mistrial, meaning that something has occurred in the trial that affects the fundamental fairness of the proceedings, at which point this trial will stop. The judge will dismiss the jury and the prosecution has to start this case 
all over again from scratch. So we'll see how that goes. But now, let's talk about the bombshell that hit the ninth circuit. Again, before we go into that, if you like this particular video, please give me a thumbs up. If you're enjoying the series, again, subscribe to our channel. Always put some questions down below so I know what it is that you're thinking and what you all find interesting so I can have content to answer your questions. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals last week issued an opinion, and here's how it works. In federal courts, when a trial happens in the district court, which is a trial court, the lawyers have the right to appeal whatever that is to the circuit court. In this case, the District for California and most of the states on the western seaboard is the Ninth Circuit. Um, just for some background, the Ninth Judicial Circuit is considered one of the most liberal circuits in the country. As opposed to us here on the other coast, here in Florida, we are in the 11th Circuit, which is considered one of the most conservative. So from a guy that practices in the 11th Circuit, this happening, let's just put it that way, uh, that, that went down last week is insane. So here's what happened. There is a case, and that case went to trial back in 2018 or 19. And it was a bank fraud case, and it was called United States v. Yates and Hine, two separate people. They were two bank executives that were charged with bank fraud because they had lied about some of the economics of the bank. I think they had misrepresented the actual balance sheets and how well the bank was doing. They were convicted in their district court and sentenced to prison. In fact, by the time this appeal came out, these two people had served almost two years behind bars waiting for this appeal to come out. So what happens? The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that yes, these two people did in fact tell lies to the investors of the bank. But because those lies were not directly correlated to an actual loss at the bank, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals reversed the sentences of these two bank executives. So let me clarify that. The Court of Appeals says that the, the prosecution did in fact prove that these two people lied to their investors, but because those lies did not directly affect the economics of any victim, the court believes that their sentences should be overturned because, for lack of a better term, no harm, no foul. Um, this is a huge opinion. And to be clear, there is a rehearing period, meaning that there is an opportunity for the next couple of weeks for the lawyers to brief that case again, ask for a rehearing. But if it becomes a final opinion in the Ninth Judicial Circuit over in California, this will absolutely affect the way that the defense goes forward in the Elizabeth Holmes trial. Because if that will then be the law that the court in this trial, in the Holmes trial, is going to be bound by when it comes time to get the jury to render a verdict. And the big issue is going to be this. If in a bank fraud case, the bankers who lied about the information that they knew and gave that information to outside investors can't be liable because the information they provided did not directly affect the stock price or their investment or the value of the bank, then, you know, in turn, Elizabeth Holmes lawyers are going to argue how, Your Honor, if we in wire fraud 
the false statements that Elizabeth Holmes may have made, if it didn't affect the investors and it didn't affect the company's economics, then she also should not be guilty of anything she's charged with. Now, I'm not making a judgment call here about what the government has and has not proven. That's a question further on down the road. But I promise you, if this becomes a written opinion coming out of the Ninth Circuit, Elizabeth Holmes lawyers are going to use this in their uh, arguments for judgment of acquittal, which is something that happens after the government rests their case. I promise you, if she's convicted, this is going to be the issue that comes up on appeal, number one issue. So we shall see how this plays out. Probably over the course of the next two, three weeks, we'll know if this is actually going to become a binding opinion on the Theranos trial and on Elizabeth Holmes. Again, thanks for watching. If you're enjoying it, click like. If you like the series, hit subscribe. Send me some comments. What do you think is gonna happen with all these new things going on? Let me know what your thoughts are. If you have questions, put them below and we'll get to you next time. Thanks very much. Thanks for watching this episode of The Lawyer You Know. If you like this content, please share it with your friends. Make sure you subscribe to our page and like our videos. If you want some interaction, get in the comments and we'll be sure to get back to you. If you want to know any more information about our firm or this page, you can find out in the description or visit tragoslaw.com. We post multiple times throughout the week, so make sure you hit that bell so you can get the notification and not miss out on the next episode.